Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 37 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm chatting with Brent Weaver of YouGurus. Brent built a multi-million dollar web agency, sold it, and now he works with other web professionals to help them build their own successful agency. And while today he's developed a system to dramatically increase your own chances of success, these lessons were learned through 12 hard years of trial and error. Today, Brent covers all of the lessons he learned the hard way, so you can skip a few of those difficult years and jumpstart your agency. During this interview, it was clear to me how much Brent has thought about all of the aspects of running a digital agency, and honestly, I was blown away by how he was able to distill those 12 years of learning down into simple, straightforward lessons. You don't want to miss this one. So without further ado, here's Brent. Brent, thanks for coming on the show. Good to be here. You're the founder of YouGurus, where you help web professionals earn what they deserve. And for the listeners who aren't that familiar with you, though, can you share a bit of how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I founded a web agency in 2000 and built that business over 12 years from zero dollars, zero investment, you know, no, no financial backing uh, to a really successful digital agency here in Denver, Colorado. We had 14 team members. Uh, we had about 300 clients under management and eventually got acquired in 2012. Uh, and, and I think we were ranked top fastest growing company in Denver uh, for two years in a row. And we were on the top 25 web developers in Colorado for five years in a row. Uh, so we had this like really, really fun and cool story that we could tell about this awesome, amazing agency. And it's just, you know, nothing ever went wrong. And it was just the perfect business. And uh, it was just, it was amazing the whole time. And, and really that's, you know, not the full story. You know, the full story is probably for the first seven of those years that we were running that business. We had no idea what we were doing, and it probably took us ten years to really figure out how to run that business successfully. And then, you know, two golden years where we were really rocking it before that became attractive for another company to come in and actually uh, acquire the company. So, uh, what I founded YouGurus on was the premise that I didn't want other people to have to spend a decade learning how to grow. A successful business. I, I don't think it should take that long. Uh, most of what I learned uh, ultimately that we were using to grow our agency into a successful business was, you know, a handful of, you know, simple processes that you can follow. And I think we, we finally learned after creating many, many complex processes was that having a handful of simple processes in key areas of your business uh, is really all you need to be successful. And so it took us 12 years to really create those processes. And, and now we teach those to other web professionals in you know as little as 10 weeks. And so um, that's really the, the foundation of YouGurus is we don't want entrepreneurs to have to suffer for a decade in order to grow a successful business. We'd like to them to, to be able to do the same amount of impact in as little as 10 weeks. That's an amazing story, but it, I like what you kind of touched on at the end with the processes of having a few simple core processes as opposed to dozens and dozens of overly complex processes that ultimately either weigh you down or you don't actually follow. So I want to make sure we, we get into that a bit down the road, but I want to kind of dive into sort of the basics of what it was that kind of got you those golden years at the end where things were clicking, where things were really running smoothly. Like, What did that look like? Was it just steady leads coming in, projects going off without a hitch? Like, what was that like? 
I think one of the main things that we finally learned was that, you know, inventing your own way of doing business is like way too arduous and unnecessary. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that don't know how to run a business or have never done it before just kind of, you know, you're, you're faced with these problems every day and you get into this problem solving mode where you're always just, you know, you're personally thinking about like, oh, I have a, I don't have enough clients. So how can I get clients? And you read a couple of blog posts and then you're like, okay, cool. Now I have like a roadmap to getting clients. And that's really not how it works. And so what we, what I eventually did, I think probably around that 2007 spot in terms of timeline was I started to just hire like expert consultants and coaches. And also uh, I built a team of advisors of companies that were at the level of where I wanted to be. So it's kind of this combination of having like really strong sales, marketing, project management, operations, finance uh, consultants where we're paying them like a lot of money to help us to just implement proven processes that are already working for their businesses. And then also having a really strong set of advisors that essentially were the company that I wanted to build. Um, and, and when I had that in place, I probably took a, you know, a year or so to actually put in place. Um, it was like, you know, I would tell somebody, Oh, we're having a sales problem. And they're like, well, tell me how you sell. And they're like, we explain how I currently sell. And they're like, okay, well, here's the six places that you're doing this just like, you know, wrong. Right. And I put wrong in kind of air quotes because, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a right or a wrong way to do business. There's just different ways that give you different outcomes. So when somebody teaches you a process that maybe takes a lot less emotional overhead, there's a lot less guesswork in it, and the outcome that's created from that process is just significantly better, like why wouldn't you adopt that? And so we just started taking people that had existing proven processes and we applied them to our web pro business, maybe, you know, put a little window dressing on there because our business was different, right? Everybody's different and everybody has their own thing. But these like fundamental, like there, there are some fundamental truths about what works in the different areas of your business. Uh, and so once we started to adopt those, invent less of our own process and use proven processes, I think that that, um, that really started to change the game for us. At that point, like how big were your kind of average projects at when you when things are really clicking after you had these systems in place? Well, so the funny part is when we started our business, we actually did larger projects than probably when we were at the lowest point in our business and we're earning more gross revenue, but we were taking on a ton more small work. And I think what happened was is we got really lucky out of the gate and we got I mean, we got some 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 decent sized clients. And then we started to, to, to pursue some really terrible business practices. Like we, we didn't really understand who our ideal customer was and we really tried to chase every single opportunity that came through our door. So we had these like really big five-figure and six-figure clients and then we'd get the project opportunity for three or $4,000 who was probably just a bad fit for our business and we would like fight tooth and nail for that business because we wanted every deal. Like I wanted to win every deal and I just – I didn't really understand some, some of those core truths about – like taking on a bad fit for your business, the damage that it can do over time. So our average deal size actually from probably 2005 to 2007 went from you know mid five-figure deals down to probably $5,000 deals over just a period of like two to three years. Um, and because and, every time we pursued these smaller projects, like it just seemed like our appetite for small projects just got even bigger because there were really easy deals to close, um, but they just were terrible budgets. We were losing money on them like left and right. And we started building our business around this idea of, of like, you know, volume and getting everybody as a client. And then that eventually like pretty much led to us almost closing our doors. 
Oh, wow. And then at that point, did you then revamp it and just go back after the bigger projects? Or what happened when you almost closed the door? <laughs> well, we literally, and I remember this, I was like coming up with packages for websites that were like $1,500. So imagine going from like I've sold the $50,000 plus client, and then all of a sudden I'm selling $1,500 projects. Uh, and the types of clients that are buying those $1,500 projects, like really high maintenance, low experience. They don't have a lot of resources to work with. So they're they're really stressful on you in terms of like they just don't have enough resources to like write their own content or or do things that you need them to do. They're, even though they didn't hire you to do those things, they just expected us to like be able to do all that stuff. So when we had those, we had these like $1,500 clients like one after another. And we start thinking to ourselves, we need to play the volume game. Uh, and, and what ended up ultimately happening was it just it didn't work. And I don't think it works for most web professionals that I talk to is trying to go after, you know, a high volume of commodity type deals. Um, you know, the amount of time it takes you to acquire a customer, the time and money it takes you to acquire a customer at $1,500 is actually insanely similar to the amount of time and energy it takes to acquire a customer for $15,000. Uh, and you know, if you're spending a thousand to $2,000 to acquire a customer and at the end of the day, you're getting $1,500, like even if you, you don't really understand how to, to come up with those numbers yourself, um, the reality is, is that it just, the fundamental business model doesn't work unless you're able to achieve some kind of massive scale. So what that looked like for us was a wake up call, um, $0 in our, in, in our bank account, um, I think on you know one of my, my kind of origin stories, I talk about how I had $3 in my bank account at one point in time. I was riding my bike to the office. My employees thought I was trying to get in shape. And I was literally like, I could not afford gas. And, and that's what it looked like to basically try to compete on the commodity playing field was that eventually the business itself was emptied out and there was like no revenue to, to work at that level because it just doesn't work. If you're trying to compete – on the commodity scale, the margins are so razor thin that eventually we had this like, you know, really, really unhealthy business. So it kind of started out of a need for us to reboot the company. We said, look, if we're going to make this work, we need to change some things. Started talking to some people about the real value that we were delivering with the websites we were building. Um, started to learn how to sell and qualify. That was like a huge eye opener for me that not every single person that, that contacts you is a good fit. How do you evaluate that? How do you tell them no? Um, how do you, uh, you know, sit in a room and strategically decide who is an ideal fit so that when you're on the call with somebody, you're scoring them against something that you've created, not in the moment. So those types of things was kind of how we started to rebuild from there. And, you know, we just started kind of ratcheting back up our prices. And I started to realize that I was spending as much time selling a $1,500 client as a $20,000 client. So I just stopped, like, it just became so painfully clear that I just, I just stopped, working with people that had $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 budgets and, and just started saying no, sending them other places. And then what happened was is my time opened up for you know much bigger opportunities. No, and I, I think one issue that people run into is that they'll get even above the $1,500 mark, like in the two to $3,000 kind of project range, it's still taking up a ton of time. Margins aren't great, but it's not easy to say no, especially when you only have a few dollars in the bank account. How do you kind of get out of that rut when you need, you still need money coming in? Yeah. So we, I adopted a saying from uh, the, one of the, the, the former CEOs of, of SendGrid, uh, Jim Franklin, and he, he calls it SFM. So, so stuff 
for money, right? So stuff for money. So there's there's like your strategic business plan, which would be like what customer segment are you going after? How are you going to reach them? What channels are you using? Who is your ideal customer? Like what are some of those parameters that you're saying is somebody that you really, really want to work with, right? So that's like your strategic efforts that you need to start putting investment into, whether that's time or money, you need to start making some measured steps towards that goal. Maybe it's two hours a week where you're like, okay, I'm going to work on my, you know, my ideal customer marketing plan for two hours a week or one day a week or however much time that you can invest in that. And then the other amount of my time, I'm going to basically fill with SFM so that I can make sure that I can put food on the table, that my bills will pay, et cetera. But you can't, I would highly recommend against, you know, saying, well, I'm just going to dedicate all of my time to SFM to, to keep food on the table. Like there'll probably have to be some short-term sacrifices there. Maybe you take, you know, out of the three inquiries you get, maybe you take two of them instead of three of them, or maybe you take one of them. Figure out what that that baseline is for yourself. But I think people will probably surprise the heck out of themselves if they set a completely different goal for themselves and, and they pursue that goal. How fast they usually achieve that goal is, is way faster than they actually expect. Um, what people usually do is they operate out of, out of fear that they're not going to achieve that goal. So they continue to invest their time in the things that they know and they just delay the inevitable of happening in, in, in their bigger goal. Like we've had people go through our, our boot camp program where literally we're having a conversation and they're like, you know, I'm going after these micro businesses that, you know, are doing $50,000 a year in revenue. And I'm like, why don't you go after businesses that are doing like $2 million in revenue and find one of those? Because I, I promise you, it's just going to be a different type of conversation. And they're going to really value your skills and they're going to want to hire you and pay you really what you're worth. And there's a lot of fear around, well, I don't know where those businesses hang out. And I'm like, well, just do me a favor. Like spend the next week asking people you know if you can find those types of businesses, doing research, and let's just talk in a week. And your goal is to have one conversation with somebody who's doing, who's running a business that's doing $2 million or more. And you know, they come back next week and they like have had the one conversation. They're like, wow, like Brett, you'd be so surprised. Like my friend Joe like knows this guy who's the CEO of this manufacturing company. They're doing $10 million a year. And this guy answered the phone and he would talk to me. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we've gotten that out of the way, right? Like now you know that you can find these types of businesses. So go do that because every second that you spend talking to tire kickers and time wasters and penny pitchers, is, is an hour that you're not potentially developing a relationship that'll turn into a much bigger job. I mean, we had one of our graduates, she like went at it full force. She closed $90,000 with a business in like about 45 days of working this stuff. So yes, she might have foregone a $3,000 project or a $4,000 project. Maybe she had to skimp a little bit on her monthly finances for that amount of time. Maybe she even put some stuff on credit cards. Like, I don't know. But at the end of the day, like those problems are pretty easy to solve when you have much larger checks coming in the door. Right. And it seems like first is, is the mindset that one, it doesn't need to be kind of an on off switch. And I think with any changes in a business, people just assume like, all right, I need to change everything overnight. And you're not saying that you're saying like, I like the kind of way you said, find the ratio where you still are going to do the stuff for money X percent of the time, but you do need to find that Y percent of the time to do the things that are really going to grow your business. But then beyond that, it's just believing in yourself and knowing that if you do put in that effort, the results will come. And one other thing I want to, tell your your listeners on this topic is that 
There are so many times where these, you know, quote unquote, $3,000 bad clients that people get. I mean, they're not bad like people or whatever, but they're just like, they're like low paying clients. But there are so many times where those are actually clients that have the potential to be much higher paying clients. I'm not saying this is like a hard and fast fact that every client that's paying $2,000 for a website is a client that could pay $10,000. But there's so many times where we just teach our students how to speak a different language, how to take their clients through a different process, the same people that they were selling yesterday. And because they're going through a different process and they're showing up differently, the outcomes are fundamentally different. So while there is an aspect of what we teach and how to help people set a strategy for a business to find these secret high-value clients – uh, the, the the crazy part is, is that so often our students just change their process and language with their existing clients and they get a different outcome. Sometimes that outcome is maybe it's 2x, right? So they go from selling the same client that they would have sold $3,000 project on, they sell them a five dollars or $6,000 project or they sell them an $8,000 project. You know, so those types of things happen um, uh, potentially really quickly. Like I just got an email from a graduate of our spring program. She was a hard student to get to come over to the light she came kicking and screaming and she engaged in our process and she emailed me and said you know i went through the process i ended up closing a fifteen thousand dollar account the client told me in the first interaction that they only had a five thousand dollar budget so here we have a perfect example of where if she would have gone her her usual process this supposedly five thousand dollar client would have been a five thousand dollar project we change the way she operates her business, change the language that she uses, the steps that she takes. That same client's a $15,000 client. So, you know, some of it is business strategy, who you're going after, how you're marketing yourself, where you're pursuing people, you know, where you're investing your time there. But part of it also is just changing how you actually do business and you might see a significant result there. So in that scenario, there wouldn't necessarily be any taking, you know, the gas pedal off on your low value projects. You you might actually be able to use that same project and lead flow to just extract more value and deliver more value to your clients, frankly, um, while you're building up towards maybe some some bigger, more interesting business. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like there, there's two sides to it. Is there's one? It's first look for the better clients so you don't necessarily you're already starting at a level above the two to three thousand dollar range but even in the clients you're dealing with now find the ways to provide more value and capture more of that value but so i i want to kind of dive in a bit more to the specifics of this i know you laid out uh, sort of like three phases to this where it's first the strategy defining the ideal customer and targeting specific markets, then the sales process, and then actually delivering the project successfully. Do you mind if we kind of just dive in? Yeah. All right. So so for this, the strategy, I'm guessing you're not telling people like, all right, you need to look at $2 million businesses. That's where they're going to have enough money to start paying you. So your market is now $2 million businesses. I'm guessing there's a bit more kind of process <laughs> to it than that. Well, I think it's, you know... So when we were creating our, our boot camp program, which we did, you know, we, we, its inception was two years ago. I did an incredible amount of customer research in the web pro market. I had hundreds of conversations with web professionals um, over a, about a year and a half period of time. And when you talk to most web pros, you just simply say, hey, what's your strategy? Um, either they are honest and they say, I don't have a strategy, uh, or they literally start to 
you know, verbally make, not make up their strategy on the spot, but kind of, right? Like they take thoughts that maybe they have had over the last few months or even years, and they start to actually formalize those thoughts to you. Um, about one in a hundred actually hands me a piece of paper that says, here's our business vision and strategy. So the other 99 are literally keeping their business strategy locked up in their head, which means it's ever evolving. It's changing month to month. And it probably hasn't been vetted by somebody who really understands where the market's at, what works and what doesn't work. Back to what I was talking about earlier. One of the biggest mistakes I made was I basically operated as an island for so many years. And eventually, you know, when I got smart, I started to take my strategy and I put it in front of a trusted group of advisors. I put it in front of experts and consultants and they gave me feedback on that so that I could avoid mistakes that potentially cost you years. So part of our process and program is just having our, our students actually put their strategy on paper for the very first time in their life. And this is a learning experience. They go, when they see it in front of them, they see it on one piece of paper, they're like, oh, like they start to think about it. Like it got out of their head finally you know, it's like the people that are pursuing $10,000 projects, but they're going after clients that are doing $50,000 a year. Like you look at that on paper and you're like, oh, well, that kind of doesn't make sense. So either I have to pursue people that are making more money or I need to charge less money. And that's – we try to push them away from that line of thinking. It happens every once in a while where somebody says, oh, I'll just charge fewer fewer dollars and I'll do the scale thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you don't have the marketing investment to do scale. So let's focus on increasing your, your prices. So the strategic process, it does take time. Uh, it's about a third of, of our boot camp. Um, you know, we answer questions about who's your, you know, who's your, your customer segment that you're going to go after? What pain and problem are you solving? Uh, how are you going to reach these people and communicate to them? What is your value proposition? You know, we get them to start thinking about these types of questions and actually put that on paper for the first time in their business. And, and strategic thinking is ongoing, but what you shouldn't do is set a strategy for your business today, come in tomorrow, overhaul that strategy, come in the next day, overhaul that strategy, come in the next day, overhaul that strategy. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make is they keep shifting their strategy. And in most of the time, what, what's better to do is to set a strategy, even if it ends up being not the best strategy, set the strategy, execute it with reckless abandon for a period of like 90 days and learn a ton about executing and then come back and say, okay, well, what can we do? What can we tweak to, to, to do this a little bit differently? So we really push our, our, our 10 Kers, what we call people in bootcamp um, to set a strategy in that first like, week or two of the program and then execute for the remainder of the program and then come back at the end and say, okay, well, is this, what, what, what parts of this are working and not working? And then kind of rinse and repeat from there. Right. It's almost the, it's the iterative method where it's instead of kind of over-engineering things at the beginning, you're saying, Get something good down there, but get out there, test it, learn from it so that in the long run you can improve faster. And it's not always about going after big businesses, $2 million companies, $10 million or whatever. I mean that is a way, right, to say, look, we, you know, it's, you're probably more likely to get a better budget from a company that's doing multiple millions in revenue a year. But sometimes there are other niches where you're working with solopreneurs that are doing really, really well. You know, there's a lot of internet marketing, information product, coaching type businesses who are selling high margin programs like group coaching or something like that, where maybe their, you know, their margins are 70 or 80%. So they're doing a quarter million dollars a year and they have $200,000 or 300,000, you know, whatever. They have like a, a lot of, 
of, of bandwidth to work with and their business is 100% aligned. So that's kind of why I say that you know strategy is different for everybody. And I've seen people get high value projects out of business, like insanely high value, like it paid six figures or more. And the business that they're working with is only doing $500,000 because you know they just, depending on their, their business model, they might have more to work with. So you have to intelligently approach that conversation and, and think about all the different angles and, and also go out there and and ideally talk to those customers. That's another thing that we push our, our members to do as fast as possible is have conversations. I think as web professionals, we get very comfortable and cozy behind our keyboard and behind our monitors and, you know, in the basement and pushing pixels. And, uh, and we try to get people out of the, out of the building as much as possible. How narrow do you usually push students to go with kind of this strategy with identifying their ideal customer? I actually push them to go way as, as narrow as humanly possible and then wide go wide from there. So, you know, my line of thinking is define your target market in a small enough way or a tar- target enough way, a focused enough way that you can build a list of people to actually go talk to. Um, so that would be my ideal first step is, you know, whether that's targeting a specific association and saying, I'm going to use their membership as my customer segment. So, you know, that's, that's a way to do it. And let's say they've got a hundred members. Well, guess what? You now have a hundred prospects that you can go target in a specific niche. Now that would be focusing on like a vertical or an industry. There's other ways to focus that too around like problem sets and positioning. So like, let's say for instance, you're a web professional who wants to help people, um, like build amazing opt-in funnels, you know, like, well, maybe there's a, 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 a Facebook forum for people that are building op- opt-in funnels, like click funnels or whatever, right? Like that you can go on there and you can help and provide tons of helpful assistance and advice every single day and potentially it leads out of that, right? So like I, I try to recommend people to to get narrow and, and focus down um, to as little as people as possible. And then once you gain some traction in that market, um, then you can start to open up a little bit and, and look at broader marketing tactics. I've, I've used that and heard people talk about using kind of that as sort of a thought experiment. Like WordPress for small businesses is not a, a, it's not like a reasonable market. Like small business is tens of millions of businesses. And like if you service WordPress sites, there's like hundreds of millions of those. And so I've I've heard about kind of positioning based on the potential market size and being one you could potentially attempt to serve. But I like how you go the next step and you say, once you have this list, start contacting them. Like you're, you're saying get a list of a hundred people and then talk to them. Most web pros don't need a hundred clients this year. For most web pros, if you got a hundred clients this year, it would crush their business, right? They would actually, end up worse off. They would end up with customers who are unhappy and angry. You would be like totally just swamped with opportunity and your business would be like swallowed up. You'd deliver terrible work, all that kind of stuff. I mean, or unless you've got a lot of experience scaling a business like that extremely quickly. Um, the reality is, is, is if you're a solopreneur and you're talking about $10,000 projects and also some maintenance ongoing. Like let's say they do a $10,000 project with you and they're doing three to $5,000 in ongoing maintenance or marketing. Um, you know, if you had 12 clients this year, one a month, uh, you might have a, a $200,000 year. And for a lot of web pros, that could be a really big deal. Uh, if you're a small agency that's doing, you know, three or $400,000 and you are servicing 40 or 50 clients a year and you were able to up that to 75 clients, but also increase 
your average ticket. Like that's where you start to get into some interesting conversations around, hey, our customers on average are spending 20 grand. What if we were able to do some things that help them spend 50 grand? You know, um, most of the time, you know, those, those type of adjustments would have a profound effect. Um, so you have to approach your marketing strategy knowing what your end goal is. If you're going after WordPress businesses, which is probably a, I don't know, a couple million dollar potential, a couple million person market of everybody that's using WordPress and running a business, the reality is you're just not going to be able to get your message in front of them very much. And you're going to be kind of like, you're not going to be able to be really, really targeted and focused into who you're, you're going after. You're casting this like a really, really wide net. And even though you're casting a wide net, the market is so massive if you go and cast that net in like the wrong area, it, it might sink your business because you just don't know that the, the market is so massive. In our one of our, our lessons in boot camp, I talk about this kind of uh, analogy of looking at the ocean, right? So when you're talking about small businesses in market, like that's an ocean, right? If you're talking about uh, WordPress businesses, that is an ocean. Those are massive markets. The people that are out there fishing in those markets successfully have fleets of boats, have, you know, crazy satellite imagery. They have, you know, so, uh, underwater uh, sonar systems. You know, they have these massive multi-million dollar investments. The average guy that's going out there in his little dinghy, right, and he's, he's rowing out with his one fishing pole, like he is just as likely to catch a fish that he can take home and eat as he is likely to be eaten by a shark, right? So, so you have to think about that analogy. If you've got a rowboat and a fishing pole, find a pond. Find something that you can make your way around in a day, in a week. You can get the, the lay of the land and you can see all the different aspects of the pond. You can find the hot spots in that pond within a month, Right, you know, you think about it. If you, if you were to go out and fish the same pond every month, you you would know where to go pretty quickly, like within a month or two, right? You, but when you're talking about the ocean, the landscape changes so vastly every single day that you're just going to get swallowed up. So too many web pros go out in their rowboats and they try to swim with the big boys every single day, and they come back and they complain about Wix, GoDaddy, Squarespace, WordPress. They complain about all these really, really big companies because they're – and what they think is they think that they're getting crushed by market forces. What they're actually getting crushed by is a terrible business strategy. So when we teach them how to actually isolate a market that seems much more approachable, uh, people often say that it takes seven times for your message to get in front of a business. That for them to actually read your message, see your brand, see your value proposition, seven times for them to see that before somebody's really going to be – before you're going to get that kind of contact saturation. So if you're trying to market in, a, in, a, in an ocean, the chance that you're going to be able to get your brand in front of the same group of fish – seven times is just like, it's just so slim. Whereas if you're in a much smaller pond, you got you, you just joined a Facebook group that has 100 members, even though it doesn't seem like that's really that exciting, 100 people, who cares? But if you can get your message in front of that 100 people seven times in, let's say, three weeks, then you're going to have so much better results than going out and trying to get your message in front of the ocean seven times. I mean, that might take you three or four years or 10 years, right? Versus doing it on a much smaller scale. So so those are just kind of some of the thoughts that we share and then kind of teach people how to apply that stuff, um, you know, in, in their business when it comes to that that strategic component. Um, think, getting them to think small, and small doesn't necessarily, small market doesn't necessarily mean small opportunity. 
uh, you know, focus doesn't necessarily mean small opportunity. And, and once we get them to, to, to see that and see the immense opportunity there are in these really small ponds, um, then they start to build that confidence. And, and maybe one day we'll see some of those folks go out there and, and fish in the big ponds. Um, but, you know, we've got, we've got companies that go through our program that are building thriving agencies on insanely small customer segment targets, uh, like less than 100 people. And they're building you know, a seven-figure business on, on that because, you know, you just don't need that many clients. I'm going to stop Brent right there, but when we come back, he's going to share the counterintuitive advice on how to actually reach this list of 100 potential clients. Hang tight. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners. And while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork, but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Brent. This ties in really well to what I want to talk about next. And so on Jake Dragovin's podcast a while back, you were on and you said something that really stood out to me. You said, because when you, if you read blogs, if you follow podcasts, anything like that, you see so many people talk about specializing, especially in terms of outreach. They'll say like, cold email works and then that's when else will say cold email doesn't work and they'll talk about kind of more creative methods but they all talk about like sort of a single method and what you said that really stood out to me was that often what works best is finding five or more ways to creatively get in front of customers and then executing on all of them for everybody in your list if if you can if you have a well-defined target so if you have a well-defined target and you you figure out the different areas that you can get in front of them i absolutely recommend multiple channels right going to a conference building up an email list sending them emails um you know getting them to your website pixeling them and then retargeting them you know um going and talking to a person that's already servicing the market and doing some kind of jv email or webinar uh you know there's there's a lot of different things i mean you can run your own podcast right but if you're, as long as you're consistent in your strategy, then a multi-channel approach can be extremely successful and help you to reach the same group of people from multiple angles. Because, because that's probably the reality of our of our digital ecosystem now is there's so many different channels out there. No customer, no single customer is only hanging out on one channel. Like, you know. But um, so so absolutely, if you're focused on your strategy, multi-channel approach can work great. Uh, if you're not focused on your strategy, multi-channel approach to trying to get clients will kill your business. So, uh, you know, if you're going out there and you have no idea who your market is, and one day you're on a podcast for agency owners, and tomorrow I'm attending, you know, a uh, you know speaking at a digital marketing summit, and the next day I'm I'm at a conference for dentists. And the next day I'm at a local WordPress meetup and the next day I'm at the chamber of commerce, right? Like there's no overlap. And then that's basically going to, that's going to be killing my business because I'm not going to get my message in front of those groups seven times. 
I think that all makes perfect sense because you're right. Like the first step is getting that strategy, getting a clearly defined market, so that you're able to do these things effectively, not just kind of efficiently. You want you want them to have the results you're looking for. And I bet there's somebody that's listening to this right now who's who heard maybe Jake Torgavan's podcast, which is you know part of my vetting process for what I look for. Right, so I'm very consistent in who we market to, and I would put money on the fact that. There is somebody listening right now that's heard something else or consumed some other piece of Yuguru's content. Um, so that's kind of like that idea in motion. Exactly right. You don't want to go on multiple podcasts and have each audience kind of be independent. That means you're you want there to be overlap in the audience. Otherwise, you're probably not doing a good job targeting. I want my customer to email me and say, "Brent, you're everywhere." You know, yeah, like exactly. when you're not right, you're not. You're not really everywhere. You're just everywhere they are. Exactly. Exactly. To go to the next step, like to once once you have that clearly defined ideal customer, once you're you're reaching out, like what is the message you're reaching out with? Like how do you view sales? Like how should agencies be thinking about approaching their customers? I'm guessing they're not just saying go on podcasts, go on whatever else, and to say, hey, if you guys need a website, I'm your guy. Like what is your kind of thought process behind constructing a good message to drum up sales? Um, and, and there's a lot there. So when you're talking about messaging, I definitely am in the school of thought of finished story benefits. What is your customer really after? And aligning your messaging around that, the, the problems that you're solving and the deliverable or the artifact is usually the least amazing, uh, way to communicate that. Like, let's say you're you know, you literally are like the animated GIF button factory. You know, like imagine that you position your business just around like we create animated GIFs that are, you know, every pixel size imaginable, every color. Like we make animated GIFs that are 100 pixels by 50 pixels, that are by 120 pixels by 75 pixels, 300 pixels by 700 pixels. Like and some of them are green, some of them are blue, right? Like that is the typical web pro you know, I mean, obviously a, a little hyperbole there, but that's a typical web pro in terms of how they're marketing their business is they're basically advertising themselves based on pixels and colors and dimensions. And, uh, you know, how much can you sell an animated gift button for? I mean, let's just put our imaginary hats on. I know they're for free all over the Internet. But typically, you know, you're selling this animated gift for a dollar, for three dollars. Maybe maybe you've got like your ultimate special like dancing cat is like 1995 or something, right? Or maybe you're bundling them for, for more than that, right? That is, you know, the commodity play. And if you communicate like that in dimensions and in, in, in colors and things like that, things that really are about the artifact, not the end result that that artifact drives, then you're playing the commodity game. The commodity game is always a race to the bottom, always a race to the bottom. Now, change that way of communicating about a button. And let's say you have, and, and this has happened big in the internet marketing world, but you have like the button. You've got the upsell button. This upsell button helps you increase your conversion after sale by 150%. So you currently, let's say you have 100 sales, you upsell 20 of those people with your current button. You buy my button and you're going to sell 35 upsells. 35 upsells. What impact is that going to have on your business? How much value is that going to create for you? Now, granted, whoever you're talking to, in their head, they're imagining completely different numbers, right? So if you're me, like maybe that button is worth, 
if you could help me increase my upsell conversions, maybe that button is worth $50,000. If you're, uh, you know, Frank Kern or Jeff Walker, some of these big internet marketing guys, maybe that button is now helping you to add $2 million to your revenue this year. So I'm not going to show you that button. I just know that my button guarantees 30-day money-back guarantee. We're going to charge you $10,000 for my button. 30-day money-back guarantee. If it doesn't help you increase your post-sale upsells by 150%, you get your money back. So same product, same deliverable, completely different way of communicating it. Fitness story benefits, results, guarantee, you're in the mind of your customer. What does your customer care about? Your customer doesn't care if it's 30 pixels wide, 500 pixels wide. Quite frankly, they don't care if it's a dancing cat or a, a bouncing snowball or whatever. If it helps them increase their conversions by 150% up post upsell, and this is a very, very specific case. I'm using a very specific case study here. But if you know, they don't care, they don't care if it's red, blue, green, they might kind of have a curiosity, like why is it? a green button with a red circle that looks like a marker drawn around it. Like, why is that? And you can tell them, look, scientifically, our, you know, our retinas respond to this. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares, right? The average CEO won't care. Maybe one in ten. No, at the end of the day, they care about the money. They, they want the results. Exactly. So when it comes to how web professionals communicate about what they do, we help them transition from talking about dimensions and colors to the results that they provide their businesses. And that's what I, when I talked about earlier about a different way of communicating, a different language, different process. A lot of it comes down to that, is helping them to think like that. And it, it really is, for a lot of designers and developers and creative professionals, uh, it is a little bit of a different way of thinking. And it takes a little bit of time. Uh, it takes some, some knocks over the head uh, to change that way of thinking. But then they get the results or they get a taste of those results and they're like, oh, and you start to see them kind of take off in a completely different direction. So there's there's that part of it, right? How are you communicating about what you do? Absolutely, your value prop. How are you building, you know, story and analogy into that? How are you creating that um, that that specific offer that's solving that problem that your market has? If you don't really understand what problem you're solving, then it doesn't matter how cool the widget you're building is. Then there's the actual process. So I've gotten a lead. They are interested in what I'm doing. They have contacted me and they say, hey, I'm interested in doing business. So you're moving now from marketing to sales. You're moving from getting somebody's attention, getting them interested in the problem you solve. And now you're actually talking about how do we turn this from a make-believe uh, idea between two people to real business with a contract and a check. So there is a very specific mechanical process to that. And depending on how much credibility and trust you have in a market, this process could take a lot of meetings. If you have a lot of trust built up in a community and uh, you know people have had many interactions with you already before they ever actually contact you, um, the process can be a little bit uh, sped up. But it really comes down to a, qualifying, step one, qualifying, um, having a piece of paper that says, who am I looking to hire? Who am I looking to work with? Right? And you have parameters. Right? Look at it as like a, a target. And as you talk to somebody in that very, very first conversation, you're asking them questions that help you to evaluate whether they fit your target. So you're trying to take the emotion out of this process. It's not, do I like this person? Do they like me? Do I think they're going to be a good client? Do I think they're going to be a bad client? If somebody fits your profile, uh, even if they have a different personality than you typically like to work with, but they fit your profile, they're probably going to become a great client because you know how to service your ideal client. You know how to turn them into a great client. Um, so you compare them to your ideal client. If they're not a great fit for you, 
you should turn them away. If they're a raging bad fit, you should definitely turn away. If they're like a mediocre kind of like, well, if I you know blur my eyes a little bit, maybe they could fit into this, and I need some SFM, so let's go ahead and take this opportunity because you know it's going to put money on the table or, or food on the table, and uh, so so you qualify before you you know, and, and everybody thinks that first time they're talking to a client that they are you know trying to to win the business, and that's just the wrong mindset. You shouldn't try to win the business until you've actually gone through discovery with that client, until you know without uh, any doubt exactly what that business's top three problems that you've identified with them, what those problems are worth to that business, whether you're the right fit to provide the solution for that, and what the solution is. When you get to that point, sell, pitch, go after the business, create an offer, close it. Do you wait until that point to discuss price as well? Uh, I try to talk about ballpark early. Okay. So if, as part of like the qualification process. So if you if you're if you're qualifying somebody and they're giving you green light, green light, green light, green light, you know they're they're hitting all of the factors and you know the market and they were referred to you or whatever you've met them before at a conference or like you 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 know like maybe budget never comes up if. You're getting green light, red light, yellow light, green light, red light, red light, red light, red light, and you kind of go, you know what? Like, I don't think this guy has any money. I don't. Have, I don't think this business has any money. I need to. I mean, we need to. We need to. We need to have that ball. The ballpark come. So, so it's. It doesn't have to be a part of every opportunity. Now, people are going to ask. Probably more likely than not, is the the the, the your client is going to say, how much is this going to cost me? And that's where you say, you know, look, imagine you're going to a baseball game, you know, and you have $50 in your pocket and you try to go to a major league baseball game. Like you can maybe for 50 bucks get a regular season, two tickets that are not very good. Uh, You're going to be sitting in the outfield up high and you can maybe buy a hot dog and one beer, right? That's the reality of a $50 in a major league game in today's prices. Uh, yeah, and that might be stretching. Yeah, yeah. if $50 <laughs> at the World Series, you're not even going to get in the door. You might get a, a parking spot two miles out from the stadium on a one-piece plastic chair where you'll watch the game on the TV with the parking attendant. Um, $50 in a minor league game can get the whole family in, free parking, four hot dogs, four beers, and enough money to buy your kid a T-shirt. Having a conversation with your client around your ballpark, right? What ballpark do you play in? Look, most of my clients that hire me, our minimum project usually starts around 5000 and goes up to 50000 Hey, we don't start our engines for anything less than $100,000 because we put two dedicated people on every project and they work on that client for a minimum of three months to hit that. We put a designer and a developer and then a part-time scrum master. Like we don't start for anything under one hundred twenty k, right? Or, you know, hey, we only do this type of a project. We do a $10,000 you know, pack and play website with a SEO audit and this is our product, right? Like, so having that ballpark conversation to make sure that they're at the right ballpark. If you're a five to $50,000 player and they're like, well, I was planning on putting this on my MasterCard with $1,800 limit and I also wanted to buy business cards and a brochure, then you can say, well, look, you know what? I think your best option right now is to go to Upwork and 99designs or Fiverr, and that would probably get you where you need to be faster and better than with me because, you know, our minimum is five grand, and honestly, we're just, we just can't get the engine going for that much, right? It's just, it's not that 
going to the minor league stadium is bad, but if you're in that, if that's your price range, you might get a much better experience with your 50 bucks in a minor league game than $50 at a major league game. Now, if that budget changes, then, you know, call me or, or, or we can kind of go from there. Or maybe you can arrange some kind of like one day VIP consulting thing to help them. But again, you're, the amount of time that you spend trying to close a thousand dollar deal or a bad fit for your business, you could have been spending that time marketing to some higher value people at the top of your of your market. So I I try to advise people away from if they put a ballpark on the table, like stick to it. I see. No, and I think that's honestly like a really kind of good balance of the more like Alan Weiss value based fees, where he's like never mentioned price until the very end, and then. As opposed to just giving your prices up front. I think that's a good kind of middle ground where it helps you feel them out. It helps you save your time ultimately and also not waste their time too. If if you're a rock star marketer and you have an amazing process at identifying your ideal clients and you're laser focused on exactly who you're going after, you've already – you basically have already vetted them, right? Then I think you could do that. You could hold that price back but – Because you already know they have the money. Yeah, and I don't recommend quoting up front, but at least knowing Mm -hmm. like, hey, is this guy – are they in my ballpark or not? Because we advocate a a sales process that you invest time. Now, a lot of our graduates, they actually start to charge for this and turn this into a productized service, which is is awesome. What we really want to get people ultimately is billing for 100% of their time, even their sales time. But in terms of uh, being able to invest eight or nine hours – into pursuing business, if at the end of the day you knew in that first meeting that there was a high probability they didn't have the budget that was fitting your ballpark and you still invested eight or nine hours, then you've like totally like just missed everything that I've taught. We want to get rid of those people in 15 minutes or less. Honestly, there's probably about a thousand other questions I could ask <laughs> you because I've been loving your answers and, and it's clear how deeply you've thought about all this. But just in the interest in time, what I do want to focus on to start wrapping up a little bit is it's clear you guys have a very clear process of framework of thinking about these things that you you teach in your boot camp. So can we talk a little bit about how you gurus with your 10K boot camp can kind of help agency owners get to this sort of place where the agency is running smoothly, where margins are great, where they don't have to worry constantly about where the next client is coming from. Can you talk about how you work with people to get there? Absolutely. So so when you when people enroll in our boot camp, we take them through a 10-week program. Um, some of it is teaching you and providing some of that baseline education. So a lot of what I just talked about today, we kind of like help expand and go like wide and deep on some of those ideas, not just giving you the, the 30,000 foot view, but how does this actually play out in my business? What's the checklist? What's the process? What's step one, two, three, four, five, six? So we provide that as part of our program curriculum. But me, like a lot of people, uh, I find it's hard to take action off of just watching some videos. So that's where really our, our special sauce comes from. We have web pro agencies, uh, agency owners that are mentors in our program. So we assign you to a mentor who's above level where you're at, um, who's basically going to be able to help you to get where they are, just like my own experience. Uh, that was extremely valuable for me is, you know, if I want to get to a million dollars, then let's have you be in a group where your mentor is already at that level. Or if you're at a hundred thousand and you want to get to half a million, like let's put you in a group where people are at that level. So we put you in a group with a mentor and you're in with other people. So those come into our two other unique community and mentorship. So 
when you're with other people that are like you, all of a sudden you realize you're not alone. You're not the only one that has these problems. And sometimes we learn better when we see somebody else learn or go through a transformation or get told something. Like when somebody comes to us and says, hey, Brent, you're doing this and this wrong and you should do it like this. Sometimes we're like, we shut down. We're like, ah, you know, or we like, we're like, yeah, it's just more advice. But if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Andy, you could do this and this and this better. And I, Brent, am sitting over on the side watching that transpire. I actually, because it's like this third person thing, I start to think about, oh, well, this is, well, Andy's doing this, and I kind of am doing that too. Oh, so, you know, I, I, you see it differently. So we put people in groups. There's some magic there that happens, and, um, and then we have some, 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 uh, some formulas for accountability and goal setting. And, and what ends up happening is people start the program with a lot of fear and scarcity and um, uncertainty about where their business is at. And by week 10, they are beaming with confidence. They are hopefully, if things have gone well, we've convinced them to try, not learn, try and execute a few new things, a few new processes in their business. And hopefully over those 10 weeks, we've actually had an opportunity to see them and the outcomes that they've created. So what happens is you learn something, you then go and do that thing, and then you come back to your mentor and your group and you get to talk about that thing, about your the results and what worked, what didn't work, how you can do things differently. And that iterative process over 10 weeks transforms people. I mean, there's there's just no other way to say it. We have people that come into program that within 10 weeks they've tripled their average monthly income. We have people that come into program where they've 10x'd their margins over 10 weeks. We have people that come into program who – have sold $2,000 is the biggest project they've ever sold. And they think three or $4,000 just seems insane. And by the end of the program, they close two $60,000 projects. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, so we have these amazing transformations and a lot of it just happens with the multifaceted approach. We don't just say, Hey, go watch some videos and hope for the best. We have one-on-one time where you work with your mentor. We have, you know, one-on-one time where you work with other peers. We get the entire group together. We have additional supporting programs. People get access to once they graduate program. And, uh, it's just that real, like a, a much different approach to educating professionals. And I think it works better than other companies approaches because, of, uh, of the real personal touch by people that are in the industry. They're out there doing this stuff every day. It's not like somebody just, you know, it's not like I sold my company, mapped out my blueprint, and then just sell that all day. We're actually changing and evolving the program and the content um, with every cohort that comes through and all of the different mentors, specific experience and background. No, and I mean, check out the success stories, but especially for me, just talking to you and hearing just how kind of, deep your knowledge is on it but also just how much you've clearly thought about and and how it all fits together i think there's a ton of value there and so if listeners want to go hear more about this or just even just hear more of some of the the free material you've put out there where's the best place for for them to go so they can check out our website yougurus.com but i think for your listeners uh i know you guys are all running agencies and you're you're in this i want to connect you guys as soon as possible um, shoot me an email, brent at yougurus.com. That's U-G-U-R-U-S.com, B-R-E-N-T at yougurus.com. And just say, hey, I was listening to the podcast, and um, I will give you guys a free copy of our web design sales kit. It's a $200 course, no, $197. Don't want somebody to call me out on that. Uh, it's a $197 course 
I will give it to you for free and we'll set up a, a 60 minute strategy call where we actually run you through what we call our business reality organizer, which is an amazing worksheet and process for you to actually put on paper what's going on in your business right now. And then you get 60 minutes with one of our strategists to actually run through that, get a picture of where you are in your business, where you'd like to get to and how you're going to get there. So if you guys just drop me that email, brent at yougurus.com, free course, 60 minute strategy call. I, I think that's pretty good. Uh, Pretty good call back. I think that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. No, that's that's amazing. And honestly, take advantage of that, please. Like, there's so much value here, and there's so many things that just getting an outside perspective and getting someone to help hold you accountable is huge in actually applying these things. I know a lot of people listen to these podcasts and read the different blog posts, but it's actually acting on it that is tough. And so having kind of the multimedia approach, having the more accountability, the more personalized approach really can make the difference. So Brent, thanks for sharing all that today. Thank you very much for that amazing offer. And I just want to say thanks for coming on today. Andy, my pleasure. That was one of those interviews that had my mind running at about a thousand miles an hour in a thousand different directions. Think about all the new possibilities that Brent opened up. And while we could have talked for hours about dozens of different topics, to me, it boiled down to three core ideas. First, you need a real strategy and you actually need to write it down. You can't just keep your vision locked up in your head because it's going to be constantly changing there and you won't have a chance to get it vetted by someone who understands where the market's at, what works, and what doesn't. You need to get the strategy out of your head, get feedback, and then relentlessly execute on it. Second, get over your fears of niching down. In the beginning, you actually want to go as narrow as possible. So narrow, Brent says, that you could actually build a list of the entire market and talk to everybody in it. This helps remove the distractions of deciding who to market to and how to market to them by laying out a clear path forward. You simply don't even need 100 clients this year. In fact, if you got 100 clients, you wouldn't be able to handle it. So start narrow, build your business, and then go wide, if and only if it makes sense. And third, you need to learn how to sell. If you want to work with good clients and charge good rates, you need to stop selling what Brent calls pixels, colors, and dimensions and start focusing on how you solve real business problems. Get to the bottom of what your client cares about and position your services in a way that solves those concerns. That's all I have for you guys this week. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Store, Stitcher, wherever. Next week, I'll be back with Bob Ruffalo of Impact Branding and Design, and he's going to share how he built one of the biggest inbound marketing agencies and almost lost it along the way. I'll talk to you then. See ya.